Let's pray now. Father, you, you were good when you said, let there be light and separated the light from the darkness. You were good when the land was separated from the water. You were good when the birds flew and you filled the ocean with fish. You were good when you placed Adam and Eve in the garden and gave them everything they needed. You were good, God, when they sinned against you and you didn't carry out a death sentence on them immediately. You led them into repentance. You were good with your patience. Lord, you were good when you called the nation of Israel into existence. Out of all the nations of the earth, it was a small nation that you chose. Or you were good when you sent Christ to Palestine, to Galilee, to Nazareth, to Mary. You sent Jesus to us, a baby, a man, a teacher. You were good when you spoke truth from his lips. You were good when you let him die on a cross for our sins. You were good when the disciples were confused because they didn't know why he died. You were good when he rose from the dead and the church was born. You were good in 21 centuries, God, of carrying the church through times of prosperity and times of utter turmoil. You're good today, God. Benevolent, giving us what we don't deserve, delighting in giving to us your love, delighting in giving to us forgiveness. You are good. And we thank you, God, that because of Christ, all of this, Lord, is headed to a land where your goodness will be perfectly seen and expressed without any darkness at all, without any opposition at all. So help us as a church, God, to proclaim your goodness now. Lord, in my little talk and in our singing, as we hold babies, as we teach children, as we open doors, as we attend to the parking lot, as we leave here, God, may we proclaim the goodness of the Lord so that all may hear that you are good. In Christ's name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last Saturday I received another interesting vacation picture from a member of the Hope Point family. This time the family was uh, in the Virgin Islands and in the island of St. Croix and they came across a very interesting flower that's actually a cactus and it is, um, I can, no way I could pronounce this scientifically, it's called the Night Blooming Cereus, which is a larger group, uh, from the larger group called the Ceroid Cacti. What makes them unique, however, is they only bloom at night. In fact, some of the rarer species within this family, they only bloom at night once a year. To bloom at night, to shine in the darkness, to serve the Lord in a culture that is rejecting God is the call of Jesus Christ on everyone who claims to follow him. It is the life that he lived, and it is the life that he enables us to live, to shine in the dark. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. 
I was reading this week where certain in insects have this thing, this substance within them called negative photaxis, which means they are uh, repelled by uh, the light and they want to stay in the dark. And then some insects have positive photaxis, which means they are drawn to the light and want to leave the darkness. I don't want to insult you by calling you an insect, but there is something about you that you should have positive photaxis. That is, you should, if you were a believer, you would be forever drawn to the light. And I'm assuming that's why you're here today. There's a unique drawing and stirring in your heart. You've seen enough darkness, heard enough darkness in the city this week and in our culture and nation that you say, I want to go to a place of light. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 5, 8. You were once darkness, but now you're light. And it's interesting when he says you were once darkness, he didn't say you did dark things, which you did. But he said the reason that you did them is because you were darkness. There was something within you that full time was attracted to the deeds of darkness. You weren't attracted to light. You wanted to do that, which is Dark And because of the love of God, he sent Jesus Christ, light of the world, to leave heaven, to come to earth, to live a perfect life down a cross, rise from the dead so that he could send his light through the Holy Spirit, the light of life in you because he loves you, because he's chasing after you. As the song said, he's good. I want you to understand once again, simply because there may be new people here among us. I couldn't wait to really get back to church today to say this again. This infusion of, of, of light inside your dark bodies is not something that you can do. You, I know that there are many people who come into a church and you feel like the rest of us have our act together and somehow we have, we have, this, we have acquired this taste of light. No, it is a spiritual transformation, supernatural. The light of God comes in and drives out darkness when you open your life to Christ. You can't do it. It's not a self-will religion. He drives out darkness. Say it like this, you could light a million candles on the beach at night and not affect the darkness at all. But when the sun rises in the morning, the darkness is quickly removed. Only God can replace your darkness with light. Your answer is Jesus. He drives out darkness. Just go to him as you are with everything and say, fill my life with your light and get rid of this darkness and welcome to the world that he will begin the journey. For those of you who find yourself in a long night season of the soul, I can tell you, you keep coming to Christ and he will keep bringing in light to darkness that you cannot generate on your own. I found that out in a new way. I heard that in a new way or another way, a great reminder this week and an event that happened <clears throat> that I just have to describe as the greatest haircut I've ever had in my life <clears throat> happened to me this week. I, if you know me, I'm not very particular on where I get my hair cut or who does it. I just, I get up and, you know, it, it, the, the word, the sensation that I have, the, the, the reason that I know it's time is when Lisa's going to school in the morning, she will say to me, you have big hair, go get your hair cut. <laughs> that will be sort of the, the spirit. So I will just go and I'll look. It doesn't matter whether it's great clips, sport clips, super cuts. It doesn't matter. I just go online and see who's got the, the least amount of time waiting. And that's who gets my business that day. So I went to a place this week and 
I walked in and by God's providence got absolutely blessed with somebody who was just discovering for the first time in their life what it means to have been touched by the light of Jesus Christ. I was reading a book related to this sermon. So obviously she said, what are you reading? I said, well, I'm just preparing for a message I'm going to teach on Sunday. And so she said, well, so are you a pastor? I said, I am. Normally, I don't like to say that because it sort of ruins the rest of the conversation because then people get scared and they say, oh, I I used to be a Boy Scout. And they didn't know what to say. And so I don't like to say that. So I said, I'm a pastor. But she responded a lot differently than most people do. She said, I used to not believe that God existed, but I now know that he is real. And he has changed my life. Well, that movie trailer was so good. I wanted to watch the rest of the movie. So I said, would you please tell me your story? And I'm telling you, if you've ever gone to these supercuts, they could get you in and out in about 15 minutes. My haircut was one hour. That girl talked and talked. She was looking for an opportunity to tell her story. It started last year, 2020, in the spring. She went to her OBGYN visit, uh, yielded a, a report that she had a large mass, cervical cancer, four, uh, stage four uh, <clears throat> in her pelvis. And so they made an appointment at Gibbs Cancer Center, but they really couldn't see her <clears throat> for two weeks, just backed up and um, as things were last year. And so anyway, there was an opening the next day and she went and her oncologist said, uh, do you have any plans for tonight? Because I want to admit you to the hospital today. Your hemoglobin is like four. You're going to die within a couple days. That tumor is absorbing all your blood. You don't even have enough blood to live another week. And so the next day they did a blood transfusion. And then they laid out her plan for chemotherapy and radiation. And she said that, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the radiation mechanism, patients there were refer to it as the tunnel because you feel like you're in a, a tunnel and uh, it's, it's an unbelievable mechanism they have there because it, it directs high beams of light from an outside source into your body. High beams of light from an outside source to do in your body what your body cannot do on its own. Light coming in. So she's laying there on the bed in the tunnel and the first time she went through it, the process, she said she was mad as everything and said, God, why are you doing this to me? I am a good person. So she came back uh, next week for the next treatment and she's going through the tunnel again. And she says, same thing, angry, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm a good person. And she said, as clearly as you can hear inside your spirit, whatever that voice sounds like, she heard the Lord say, I love you, and I'm going to take you through this, and you will tell many. And she said, I had, I'm not a church girl. She said, out of my mouth came, I give my life to you. Um, at that moment, um, she realized that she was not a good person. She had claimed, I'm a good person. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, his light now coming in, she said, told me this, in the chair, she said, I wasn't a good person. I was living with my boyfriend outside of marriage. We were living in immorality. And I went home that afternoon and said, I have become a Christian during radiation treatment and I am moving out. 
but I still love you, and I want to date you, which they still are, but living in separate houses to honor marriage. Fast forward in September of last year, she completed her last radiation and chemo treatment, and the tumor is gone, and she says, now I have a desire to tell everyone about my encounter with Jesus Christ at Gibbs Cancer Center. She said, it's amazing. She doesn't even know the words that we use here in church. She said, Pastor, everything in my life has changed. She said, I used to be afraid of everything. She said, I used to feel real guilty. I was mad at church people. She said, I just can describe my life right now. I don't even know how to say this, but it's like I have been reborn. Hmm. She said, you know, prior to this, she said, I had two things that thrilled me. I love to sin, and I love to buy things uh, because I really thought that material things would satisfy me. Stuff would satisfy me. Money and stuff would satisfy me. And she said, I, she said, I don't care about stuff anymore in my life. She said, in fact, just a few months ago, my car burned up in the parking lot of Taco Bell. And she said, I was standing there, and another woman came in and said, are you okay? She goes, yeah, it's, my car's on fire but it's just a car. She said her life is filled with peace and somebody has loaned her a car in the meantime and she doesn't really have much money, but she did say this. If there's any one thing, one material thing I won't own earth, I just have one, I one hope that I can get. She said, I would, I would love to wear, I would love to buy a silver cross necklace that it will help me in my conversations with my customers that they might ask about the cross. I have a feeling that Jesus <laughs> is going to get her that silver cross necklace. She never listened to Christian music in her life, and she said, you know, she said, I have really loved Christian music. There's a great song out there. She said that Dolly Parton sings it. She said she's singing it with some guy named Zach. I said, Zach Williams. She said, and, and you know the song. It's a song, Jesus was there. And all the mistakes I made. Jesus was there. It's a great, great tune. Or there was Jesus. There was Jesus. <clears throat> and she was so thankful. She said, Pastor, I'm so thankful that you came in today because she said, I've told my testimony in church, but she said, this is the first time I got to try it out in public. <laughs> How did I do? I said, you did great. You did great. And you know what she's doing? What she's doing is she's simply following the, the command or the the lead of the Apostle Peter, that when we become children of light, we're supposed to talk about it. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, uh, um, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What happened to that woman at age 44 can happen to you today no matter what age you are. God does not want you to be owned by the darkness. He does not want you to be filled with darkness. He does not want you to fear the darkness after you die. You know, last week I pointed out some passages where the word light was used in reference to the kingdom of, you know, the Bible doesn't always call us the church. It calls us the kingdom of light in contrast with the kingdom of darkness. I fell in love with all of the passages that the Bible talks about 
Christianity in terms of light. I just want to read some to you. The first one comes from Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. A reference to the fact that God rescues you, saves you, salvation saves you from being owned by darkness. Then there's Psalm 119, 105. This is why we preach the Bible here. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. If you want to know who God is, the Bible will perfectly tell you everything you ever need to know to love and serve God. It is the light. God has never spoken through any book except the Bible. Perfectly. Isaiah 49, 6. This is what we do as why we gather and so we can go. God says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles, another word for the nations. I'll make you a light for all the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We prayed for Afghanistan today because if you're not praying for the people of Afghanistan, you don't really understand your calling in life. Everything we do in church is that all the world may know because we can't stop all the suffering, but we can prepare everyone for death and we can prepare everyone for the world to come. I'll make you a light for the nations. Isaiah chapter 60, one of my favorite verses, eschatological verses of looking toward the end of times. Isaiah 60, 20, your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Isaiah chapter 60 is a perfect parallel to Revelation 21 and 22 where the Bible says that heaven does not have the sun nor does it have the moon because the light of God himself is the light of heaven. And there will be a place where there will never be any more darkness and any more sorrow. And finally, another verse, a final verse to look at the infinite purity of God. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. How could you ever boast that your life is good when you're living in the light in the presence of someone that has no darkness in them? You could drive and fly a plane a hundred million years through the heart of God and never find one sliver of spiritual moral darkness. No darkness. Never a dark thought in his head. Never a dark action by his spiritual being. He's, morally, he's more than morally excellent. He's infinitely perfect and pure, which is what we mean by the word holy. And because of that, the condition of those who follow him is to love walking in the light. For your light in the Lord, end of verse 8, then live as children of light. This is very interesting. Paul did not come up with this term, children of light. Another person, another writer, another speaker came up with that. His name is Jesus. He was the first one who decided to call those who live in the kingdom of light, children of light. There's only, you only live in one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of light or kingdom of darkness, and you're only either the child of light or you're the child of darkness. Jesus said it in John chapter 12, verse 36, believe in the light while you have the light, while there's time, that you may become children of light. And it's cool that we're called children of light because we've been adopted by a father who is the ruler of the world in whom no darkness dwells. And that's why we've been adopted by a father of light. Those who belong to the kingdom of darkness are called 
children of darkness. Jesus told a crowd in John 8, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And those, des- those desires are described in the end back in Ephesians 5 as the works of darkness. So if you're a child of the light, you love the light, the father of light, the king of light, if you're a child of darkness, you love dark deeds. That's how you know the difference. You love them. This is what the devil desires. Is this is what the devil inspires, darkness. If you love darkness, you belong to him. This is what negative photaxis looks like. <laughs> a constant desire to live in the dark. But in contrast to that, in contrast to loving the darkness, we love the light. And here the light is defined in three ways. I did define them last week, but I wanted to review them now just so you understand what does it mean to live in the light? Because that's sort of hippie, mystical, out there, Well, this is what it means. It's easily defined by these three terms. Goodness, righteousness, and fruit. That's what it means. How do I know if I'm in the kingdom of light? These three. Goodness. You're filled with a desire to help others because of the way that God has helped you. Kindness is a God. It's not just kindness. I mean, goodness is not just kindness. It's a God-inspired kindness. He helped me when I didn't deserve it. I want to help others. Righteousness. This is a desire to represent God in every sphere of your life, whether it's work, home, in your car, uh, what you watch on the internet, everything. I want to represent God in this area where he's placed to me. And then finally, truth is, it's just a love of being honest. You're not living a lie. There's no duplicity. It's like, hey, that's okay. Uh, follow me with a drone. Attach a camera to me. Because I'm not living another life when I leave this place. It's the same life. That's what it means to love the truth. When Jesus, the light of the world, enters your life, he wants to shine through your life. As Alexander McLaren says, we have no right to call ourselves Christ's followers Unless in some measure we are Christ's pictures. He wants to shine his light through your life. And it's interesting that Paul calls this, this light, this goodness, righteousness, and truth. He says that he refers to it in verse 8 as the fruit of the light. I, I like that because he, he, we understand no fruit grows Unless it's exposed to what? Light. If you're struggling right now, you say, I love darkness. I'm really drawn to it. I bet it's been a while since you have been in the Word of God, been in worship service, been in fellowship with like the men's Bible study that, <clears throat> or the four men's Bible studies that Dan talked about. It's when you're in the light, you're drawn to the light, and when you're away from the light, you're drawn to darkness. That's how fruit is grown when light hits it. I read this week that last year in the state of Florida, they produced, the state produced 67 million boxes of oranges grown on 74 million citrus trees planted on 569,000 acres of land and all of it is exposed to the light. That's why oranges grow. You got to... 
This is why you got to come here. Light, 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 light fall on you. We all have tendencies to the darkness, and you combat that with just being exposed to the light. Another way of saying, I desire light, I desire to live in the light, Paul says another way you could think about that concept is, in Ephesians 5.10, you live a life of, I want to please the Lord. That's what it means to be a person of the light. I just want to please Christ. I love pleasing him. That's what Paul says. That's what it, this is what it means to be a Christian, to be in the light. I yearn to please the Lord. I think we can all agree that maybe one of the greatest sports movies ever produced was um, Chariots of, of Fire. It was based on the story of a, it was called the Flying Scotsman, Eric Little. Um, the, um, the story is set in Paris, 1924. Um, his whole life he had trained to run in the 100-meter event. But in January, prior to the 24 Olympics, he found out that the 100-meter was going to be run on Sunday. And just with his own ethic, it's so not a sermon outside of a sermon. Just his, it was him. He said, I can't run on Sunday and please God. So in January, prior to the July Olympics, he started training for the 400, 400 meter, meter event, which, you know, for the, anybody who runs, it's quite a switch. It's one thing to run as fast as you can for 100 meters to multiply that by four. Woo! That'll cause you to throw up. So he began to train, <clears throat> and the reason that he did not run on Sunday is because earlier in his life, he had developed a phrase, and the first time they say that he ever said it was in a letter to his sister, I just want to share it with you. God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he felt like he couldn't run in the 100 meter and still feel the pleasure of God. So I guess the question is, how did he do when he switched from the 100 to the 400? Well, in 1924 in Paris, he won a gold medal. He set a world record at 47.6 seconds. And the closest competitor behind him was six meters away, which is almost impossible in 400 meters. Less than a year after the Olympics, he competed in the Scottish Amateur Games in Hamden Park. He, and he did this. This was his last race before moving to China where he would become a missionary the rest of his life to follow in the footsteps of his parents. And a few weeks after the Scottish Games, he gathered at Waverley Stadium to say goodbye. And then when, we, when he was asked to give a speech, he declined. But instead, he led the people in singing a hymn. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun shines. That's the truth I love is Jesus, Jesus reigns wherever the sun. But that's the gist of the song. Jesus reigns. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun shines. One thing I forgot to tell you is, because um, I just saw the verse up there. Let me go back. 
when he stepped up to run the 400 meter in 1924, somebody placed a note in his hand and he opened it. And it was a Bible verse um, with um, 1 Samuel 2.30 written on it. Those who honor me, I will honor. And he kept it in his hand the entire time he ran the 400. And God did honor his desire to please the Lord. Now, I'm sorry if this is just too much sports talk today. But I really didn't tell you the story of Eric Little uh, just because of that. But we just got finished with the Olympics. And it, like his, his, his phrase, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God, was, has been resurrected by American U.S. sprinter Alice, Allison Felix. And she is just a rock star and is a freak of nature athletically. And I just really want to tell you a little bit about her just in case you don't know her. Because in, in 2016, she retweeted Eric Little's thing, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. And then she said it again in a recent interview in a different way that I want to get to in a minute. Let me just tell you a little bit about Allison Felix. She grew up in Los Angeles. Her father is a pastor and a teacher. Her mother is an educator. Um, wanting to be like her brother in high school, she started running track. One of her uh, track make, uh, uh, fellow uh, uh, competitors in, um, in Los Angeles said she was so skinny they nicknamed her uh, Chicken Legs. Well, by the time she graduated from high school in 2003, she owned five individual state championships. Fourteen months after graduating from um, high school, she competed in the Olympics in Athens, Greece, and, and, and won silver in the 200 meter. Four years later, she would win silver again in Beijing. And finally, in 2012, in the Olympic Games in London, she would take home gold in the 200 meter, which was her event most of her life. As she prepared for the 2016 Olympics in Rio, she tore all the ligaments in her ankle, and they said, you are unable to compete in the games of Rio de Janeiro, and she brought home silver. <laughs> then in 2019, as she prepared for the, the 2020 games in Tokyo, people speculated again, she cannot compete because she is too old, and she added a new um, element to the mystery of her life, and that is she became a mom. Her pregnancy had been complicated with preeclampsia. The baby was taken by C-section, and eight months after she gave birth to her daughter, she was competing in the U.S. Track and Field Championships in order to fight for a spot on the 2021 team. Because of her age, she did move from the 200 to the 400. She did qualify, as you know, for the Tokyo Games. She won bronze in the individual 400, and she, along with, 300, uh, with, with three teammates, won gold in the women's 4x400, and they finished three seconds, almost four seconds, ahead of the silver medalist team. At age 35, a mom competed in her fifth Olympics. She's the most decorated track and field champion of all times, even passing Carl Lewis. She has seven golds, 
three silvers, one bronze, and she still says, but it's not about running. This is what she says. I know my talent is from God, and that's my purpose, to run, to glorify Him. I'm currently a work in progress, and like anyone else, I face struggles every day. My goal is to be more Christ-like each day and every day, and that is not an easy task. It's not about running. It's about displaying Christ in the midst of her running. That's how a child of light thinks. How can I do what pleases God? You know, Jesus Christ, think about it. Jesus Christ will be pleased or displeased with every action of our life this week. That is to dominate our thinking. And when the Bible says he's pleased, that is not a term of just sheer knowledge. That is a term of emotion. In other words, Jesus Christ is not just aware of everything we do. He is affected by it. Pleased or displeased. So the child of light says, I want to bring pleasure to the light of the world. If you've been rescued from darkness to light, By the blood and power of Jesus Christ, that will be your ambition. I want to please him. I want to please him. That's why Jesus Christ was so amazed on one occasion when he looked at people that claimed to be his early disciples, followers, and he asked them in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you not want to please me and still say you're a Christian? It's impossible To say, I'm a Christian, but I don't live to please God. No, those children of light decide, I want to please God. And when you travel to the darkness, he shines his light of conviction, and you run back to the light. We're all going to struggle, but we don't stay in the darkness if we are. That's what he was asking. Why do you say I'm your Lord and not do what I, I say? Because this is how he lived his life. This is maybe a, one of my favorite statements Jesus made about his commitment to please his own Father in heaven. John 8, 28, 29, I do nothing on my own, but I speak only what the Father has taught me to say. I always do what pleases him. This is our hope. The end of this verse is our hope. This is why you're saved today. Because in every moment of his life, in his 33 years of living on earth, not one nanosecond did Jesus Christ ever make a decision to please himself instead of God. He was perfect in all of his decisions so that he could die as a perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross. That is our hope. Never once did he do anything that was displeasing to the Father. What an unbelievably beautiful Savior. Our hope is his perfection, not yours. And that should just stun you. That's what draws you to him is the fact that he lived in the light so you could leave the darkness. That's who we follow. That's who we seek to please in all things. And listen, We regard serving Jesus as our 
duty. You can see the word duty in the life of Christ. It was his duty to come be. Duty is not a bad word. Except for this generation. Duty is honorable. The difference between the duty that you might be thinking of and the duty of serving Christ, you're not serving rules. You're not serving law. You're not serving man. You are serving the most beautiful, sacrificial, magnificent, radiant king. It is a delightful duty to serve one who has adopted you into the kingdom of light. It is a duty, but it is a duty of delight to do all things that please him. As you know, parents this past week sent kids all over the place back to school from kindergarten to college, all over this country, kids returned. I was reading on, uh, I think, Instagram, Melanie and Hunter had posted that when little Levi, his first day in kindergarten, introduced himself to the class, said, I would say that I would recommend that all of you follow Jesus Christ and come to my church, Hope Point. <laughs> wow. And I think, you know, that's a, pretty bold, that's a pretty big thing to do in kindergarten. That was not on my mind. And then think about kids going to college. You know, think about a college kid saying that, you know, I, I, you need to come to Christ and come to my church. Wow, what a college kid. But really just the opposite so often. What happens in college? Wow. It's just destroyed so many lives and so many destinies. Some people never come back from the things they started in college. So this is what I love, the story I'm about to tell you of. You know, all of the parents are trying to do everything they can to, do everything they can to prepare their child for the, what's on these campuses nowadays. It's, it, it, is a, it is an environment that it seeks to destroy all that has happened before if you don't know that, you just, you just don't have your eyes open. So our parents are trying to prepare their kids for college. So it will be a great experience because it can be. It can very well be. So Dean and Donna, if you don't know Dean, uh, you could pretty much associate him with light. Everything on the stage, everything on the screens comes because of Dean Anderson and all of the crew that he trains back there, all of the screens in the audiovisual room. His life is just around, surrounded by light and sound. And so for Dean and Donna, they weren't here last week because they were taking their daughter Gracie to college for her first time to step on that campus, that large campus, hard campus up at, in Columbia at USC. And how do they prepare her? Well, they did a beautiful thing. They moved her in, and they gave her a picture, and they put it above her bed, and it was a picture taken 10 years ago of the day that I baptized her at Lake Cooley. And if you've never been to a Lake Cooley baptism, it's perfect for you 1030 people. On October 4th, October 4th, when we dismiss, 
We're just going to drive to Lake Cooley. We have tons of barbecue, the best barbecue in the world out there. And we eat barbecue and eat some bad desserts. And then we walk down the hill and we listen to testimonies, sing a few songs right on the hillside that flows right into the lake. And we baptize it. It's one of the better days in the, on the church calendar. Please, October 4th, come to baptism at Lake Cooley. Well, September 2011, I had the privilege of baptizing Gracie in Lake Cooley. They put that picture on her, uh, above her bed. But not just the picture, they put some words on it that they were particularly struck by that I, I made this statement it's somewhere in the past year. And they wrote those words on that picture. Remember who you said yes to. Boy, what a great way to pre be prepared for college. Do you know who Gracie said yes to? Gracie said yes to a Savior who every moment of his life on earth said yes to his Father in heaven so she could be a daughter, a child of the kingdom of light. She said yes to someone who never said no to God so that the Father could say yes to her. This is who we said yes to. If you're a child, who, remember who you said yes to. Jesus Christ, light of, the, light of the world, Son of God, crucified, risen from the dead, King of kings, who lived solely for the pleasure of the Father that you might be adopted into the kingdom of light. And therefore, every decision of your life is to be made with one thought in mind. What will please him? When a student walks to class, when a welder runs a bead, when a chef prepares a meal, when a farmer scatters their seed, when a mother feeds her child, when a pastor feeds the flock, when a surgeon makes his cut, when a nurse gives a shot, when a soldier cleans his rifle, when a landscaper cuts the grass, when a mechanic repairs the car from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets and every square inch on earth and every moment of every day, every believer asks one question, oh, Jesus Christ, light of the world, is this pleasing to you? Let's pray. Jesus, we just marvel that you, you came to a world that was dark. You came to a world that resisted you. They loved darkness instead of light, but you never ceased to shine. You never stopped teaching. You never stopped obeying. You never stopped forgiving. You never stopped healing. Every day you woke up, the first words of your, from your mouth were, yes, Father. Throughout the day is, the crowds opposed you. People misunderstood you. You were weary. You were tempted. You were insulted. And yet you said, yes, Father, I always do what pleases you. They stripped you of your clothes. They beat your back. Nailed you to a cross. Ridiculed and mocked you. And yet you looked to heaven and said, I only do what pleases you, Father. You didn't rebuke. You didn't respond. You loved. You forgave. Considered others more than you considered yourself. You were the perfect light 
even when the sky on Calvary grew dark. You rose from the dead, met with the church, blew the Holy Spirit across Jerusalem into the hearts of people. You brought that day people from darkness to light and you've been doing it for 21 centuries and now we ask you to do it again today. Lord, for the man that you brought into this place today or the woman that you brought in this place today who's thinking they have to do something, be something. Lord, would you stop them from believing that which is false and would you tell them all they need to do is open their life to the light of the world, to Jesus Christ. Let him come in with his life and his light and he will begin to drive out the darkness. May someone today during these final two songs say, Jesus, just like that woman who did my hair underneath that table as those beams of light from that x-ray machine were flying into that tumor, destroying it. Lord, I pray for that man, that woman, that teenager, that boy, that girl. Would they say, yes, Jesus, bring your light, your life into my life. I want to live for you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.